and welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have Miles Taylor hanging out with us today, live from LA, and he looks amazing. He looks like LA. The sun is shining bright <laughs> over there in the LA morning. But you know, one of our the one of the key parts about our show is the beginning and the top of it. It's kind of unique because we start each one of our shows by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And yours has been a storied career in government and the private sector before all the issues around uh around President Trump emerged. Can you walk us through the arc of your career in government and the public sector and the work you're doing now? Yeah, uh, I will try to keep it a short arc. I know sometimes when you ask people to tell their bios, they tell you a really long bio. Um, You know, look, I went to Washington, D.C. after 9-11 because it had a huge impact on me. I wanted to be in the world of national security, led me to the House of Representatives, the Pentagon, the White House during the Bush administration, back to Capitol Hill, um, and so, see, I've sped you in the arc all the way up to Donald Trump. You move <laughs> fast. Then, I mean, that was. That's right. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I'm not a political guy. I'm, I'm a, you know, I got into government to be in public policy and national security, but I had to start really paying attention to electoral politics in my party, the Republican Party, when Donald Trump started to rise, because to me, he was really the opposite of a conservative. I mean, he did not represent the direction I thought the Republican Party was going, which was hopefully more socially liberal, fiscal conservative, focused on the issues, but like putting the culture wars to bed. And um, and I started to engage for the first time in my life in electoral politics within the GOP by trying to stop Trump from becoming the nominee, because it, it to me wasn't just a scary prospect for the party, but for the country. Um, that, of course, turned out to be right. But, I, you know, the thing that I think I'm sure we'll jump into, Bakari, is I was under the delusion that good people, a good cabinet, a so-called axis of adults would be effective at keeping him in check and that Trump himself was an aberration, a really, really disgusting aberration in terms of personal character and a reckless one in terms of policy but that if we could survive it for four years, our country would move on. Um, That first thesis was wrong. The axis of adult was not able to keep him in check. And two, he was not an aberration. He's representative of a much bigger populist movement. And it's why I found myself very reluctantly staying in this conversation uh, about electoral politics in our country. You know, one of the unique things about Donald Trump is, to to your point, I can't remember if it was the first or second, but he conforms adults to his psychopathy. And it's mm-hmm. the weirdest thing to see. I mean, you have you have men around him, say for Lindsey Graham, but you have men around him who've had storied careers, although I may disagree with them, who were consummate conservatives who kind of bend to his will. Did you see that at all? Yeah, I mean, uh, without a doubt. I mean, one of the, I think, frankly, most disappointing things I've seen in my entire career is how people who know better and say one thing in private have been saying something else in public. And frankly, you could probably, Bakari, right now, name the senior Republican figure. You know, you could throw a dart at the board at these people. And I'm sure I've been in some meeting or conversation with them where privately they bemoaned Donald Trump's influence on the Republican Party and and our country. And yet they publicly stand by him. And and in fact, it's even more than that. They don't just publicly stand by him. They pay tribute to him. Um, You know, there was a moment early in the Trump administration that was really pretty sickening to me. And it was, if folks remember his very first cabinet meeting, 
he had and and Donald Trump invited I was at the White House that day and he invited the press in to see his first meeting with his cabinet and he went around the table and person by person there were these cabinet officials who just lathered on the praise about how much they loved him how he was great I mean I literally I think someone said he was a gift from God or something it was surreal but then the people I looked up to people like Jim Mattis and John Kelly when it got to them, they didn't praise the president. They praised the men and women in uniform that they represented at their departments and agencies. And you could just see his face. I mean, he could not stand that. Anyone in the party who was an outlier, who didn't pay tribute to him, he made note of that quickly and, and turned on them. And, um, and that intimidation you've seen from the MAGA side, I think has cowed a lot of these people into silence. And uh, you know, that that silence, that collective anonymity, if you will, I think is a really, really big threat, not just to the GOP, but to the country. I don't disagree with you on that. For people who may not understand what the Department of Homeland Security does, what does it do and why is it important for a president to understand? I stress understand because I'm not sure Trump did the proper role of the agency. Well, look. DHS was created after 9-11 basically to stop bad things and bad people from getting into the United States. And so when I went into the executive branch, first as, an, uh, as national security advisor to John Kelly, and then later as chief of staff of the department, in any other administration, that would have been a dream job for me because I was responsible for overseeing the day-to-day -day operations of a department with 250,000 people a $60 billion budget, and a mission to focus on protecting the country against cybersecurity threats, terrorist attacks, foreign spies like China and Russia, natural disasters, a whole range of activities. So if you think of the Department of Homeland Security as a pie, and in that pie, you've got all those different threats it's responsible for protecting Americans against. One sliver is uh, border security and immigration. But Donald Trump saw the entire pie as immigration. And that was immensely frustrating and alarming because it meant he didn't want to focus on the other threats to the United States. And what's worse is on a day-to-day -day basis, instead of focusing on those 250,000 employees in the department, we were fo forced to focus on one person. We were forced to focus on Trump because he was constantly trying to impose these unethical and immoral and often illegal ideas on the department rather than letting us do our jobs to protect the American people. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So uh, it was a, we're going to dig in deep to, you You know, your, your, you being a whistleblower, but for people who may not have heard the term or understand what is a whistleblower and why was it so important during the Trump years? And even more importantly, just how has your life changed since you've been, I don't know, is the word unmasked? And that's, that has such an a, a interesting connotation, but you're no longer anonymous. Yeah. Well, well, I'm not the Batman, but um, yeah, I mean, look, whistleblowing as a term has gone through different iterations, depending on your political perspective, frankly. You know, we had whistleblowers like Deep Throat during the Nixon era that we look back at as heroes. There are people like Edward Snowden who exposed national security secrets that some say is a courageous whistleblower and others say uh, is a traitor to the United States. And it's a complicated term, but at its essence, it's someone who witnesses wrongdoing and attempts to expose that wrongdoing publicly. And that can be a very daunting task. In my own case, I'm still not sure if I'm even comfortable with the term whistleblower applying to me, but I did witness extensive presidential misconduct, uh, you know, working in and around the Trump White House. And I, I felt like it was really important to flag that misconduct for the public. And it had it had a lot of repercussions. Uh, you know, it certainly led to my family still to this day experiencing a range of death threats. And, you know, we had to change our locations. We're constantly having to revisit our security measures because of it. But what this says about the broader political environment, Bakari, is I think for the first time in modern American history, speaking out is seen as dangerous. And oddly, whistleblowers in the United States look a lot more now like foreign dissidents in authoritarian regimes because they're often having to flee for their lives after making public disclosures. Now, I always say people don't have to have sympathy for me. I went into this eyes wide open, but it's the poll workers and the local officials and the other people around the country who stood up to Trump and Trumpism and the effort to overturn the election who've been on the receiving end of some very, very uh, vile behavior and, you know, have had to, again, fear for their lives in a way that we've never seen in our democracy. Miles, talk to me about, for people outside the Trump administration or Democrats like myself on the outside looking in, talk about when people say the Trump chaos, the Trump White House was chaotic. What does that mean? What, what does a day look like in the chaos? Yeah, it, look, it was it was unlike anything I've ever witnessed, but it's easiest to understand by making a comparison to previous administrations. I've been in the Oval Office when George W. Bush was president, when Barack Obama was president. And those were places of clear-eyed contemplation, sober decision-making, and of course, very difficult to access. I mean, the Oval Office is one of the most controlled rooms on the face of the planet, and rightfully so, because the commander-in-chief of the most powerful military in the world needs to be, uh, needs to have gatekeepers, needs to have a very structured day. Under Donald Trump, I describe it in the book, Blowback, 
as like a crowded New York bagel shop is people were coming in and out. There was constant, you know, yelling and jostling. You didn't know who was going to be there when there was confusion. The guy at the cash register, the president, you know, was getting lost and distracted constantly. It's not how you would even want your local bagel shop to operate, but it's how the Oval Office of the United States was operating under Trump. Now, you know, look, maybe if it was a day where you know, the news of the day was about something silly and it was okay for AIDS to be coming in and out and laughing and joking and, uh, and, and it being sort of a chaotic atmosphere. But this would happen when we were in there talking to Donald Trump about issues of life and death, issues of war and peace, issues of protecting the American people against sensitive national security threats. And you didn't know if the person coming in the door had a national security clearance. And you didn't know if the president of the United States was even focused on what you were talking about when you needed him to make a life or death decision. That's the type of thing that as a national security person, you are horrified by when you go into that room. And what I worry about in a second term and what I've tried to do is paint a picture of what a second term could be. And the thing that I say to a lot of folks is, If you think the first four years of Donald Trump were bad, you ain't seen nothing yet because his top aides, his cabinet secretaries, his close confidants and senior members of Congress told me for this book blowback that in the second term, there will be no guardrails. There will be no so-called axis of adults to try to keep him in check. It will be a free for all. That wild and crazy New York bagel shop that was the Oval Office will be the entirety of the executive branch. Um, But instead of serving you bagels, they'll be serving you revenge. And don't take that from me. Take that from Trump. He's gone out there on the campaign trail and said his the theme of a second term would be revenge. And as taxpayers, we don't want to pay for some fat old white guy to be serving up revenge from the Oval Office. Before we get to your new book, Blowback, which you talked about a few times, talk about your new whistleblowers podcast. Why do you think it's important to tell these stories? Yeah, I, I, I got to be honest with you, Bakari. I was super flattered to be asked to do this, was really grateful to be a part of this project. iHeartRadio, awesome podcasting organization. I think they've got the widest reach of any podcast org. Decided that they wanted to do a podcast about whistleblowers, about people who have faced that daunting challenge of knowing something that they've witnessed is wrong but also knowing that exposing it could upend their lives and then exploring that moral conflict and all of the aftermath once they blow the whistle. And so in season one, we went into the government and during the Trump era, and we talked to some of these whistleblowers, some of whom are household names like former acting FBI director Andy McCabe, all the way to people you've never heard of who blew the whistle about misconduct. And it was raw and gripping and emotional. But I'll tell you what the biggest takeaway was for me is person after person. We talked to these folks who'd exposed corruption. A lot of them ended up in the public eye. All of them were on the receiving end of just, you know, a waterfall of social media vitriol. And their lives were upended. A lot of people went broke and they lost their jobs and their marriages fell apart. And after all of that, we asked each of these interviewees, after telling their stories, do you regret it? And not a single person said they did. They all would have blown the whistle still. Now, some of them may have done it a different way. And in my own case, I have deep regrets about how I blew the whistle. I wish I'd done things differently. I think I could have had a a, a bigger impact. Um, But the fact that none of those people, despite all of the repercussions, regretted it, 
was, was incredibly inspiring to me. And these days we don't hear a lot of heroes stories. You know, we see a lot of really dark stuff when we flip on the news. Uh, it was really inspiring for me to talk to these people. And it just kind of felt like taking a, a moral shower or bath, if you will. And so I, I really encourage people to tune in. I mean, the, the team that did this is, is extraordinary and the stories are pretty harrowing. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. You got a new book you mentioned a few times. How do we, it's called Blowback, A Warning to Save Democracy from the Next Trump or from Trump Again, however we want to look at that. But how do we save the country from this Trump? Though, uh, you know, that's the most important question because he's running again. He's running again. And when I say the next Trump in that subtitle, I do mean either the return of Donald Trump to the White House in a second term or a copycat. And I think there's a lot of folks in the GOP field that are trying to out-Trump Donald Trump and could be as bad uh, or even more dangerous than he is. What do we do about it? Look, uh, this is going to sound a little bit elementary, but I, I mean it very sincerely, Bakari. I think that if people don't speak out about their concerns about this guy and not just at the highest levels of the Republican Party, the people who know better, but your everyday Americans, you know, concerned GOP voters who just who, they'd rather keep their mouths shut than to go against the tribe. If people keep doing that, we're at really, really, really grave risk of making this mistake again in 2024. And Donald Trump right now is the odds on favorite to be the GOP nominee. And the betting markets give him really good odds of being the next president of the United States. And so uh, I think that folks need to speak up. And I've said this before, that surveys show that the average American today is self-censoring more than at any time in modern history. You know, they're scared to say their true political opinions. And, you know, the majority of us in this country, I think, would consider ourselves moderates. But the moderate majority, according to the data, is increasingly censoring itself because the political extremes, especially on the far right, are so vocal that their intimidation has worked. And I always say the price of dissent right now is very high. And the only way to lower the price of dissent is to increase the supply. And that, that applies to all of us, is the more that we can speak out, 
the more that we can be candid about the fact that our democracy is in danger, the easier it is for other people uh, to make that choice and put country over political party. And we're going to need that in 2024 more than we've ever needed it uh, in any time in recent memory. Uh, look, you know, people can listen to the podcast, The Whistleblowers Inside the Trump Administration on iHeart Podcasts or wherever they get their podcasts. Uh, really encourage folks to tune in. There's already three episodes out there. They're really exciting. Uh, and you can buy the book wherever books are sold. Uh, Blowback, A Warning to Save Democracy from the Next Trump. And, uh, you know, the the last thing I'll say on that, Bakari, is I didn't want to write another Trump retrospective. We're all sick of reading these memoirs of people congratulating themselves for, you know, all the brave things that they supposedly did. We need a forecast about what's going to happen if we do this again. So I encourage folks to read it and to share it with those who need uh, to hear that message. So really grateful for you having me on, my friend. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.